Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. services for a private funeral would that be of interest to you who died why is the undertaker here he's here to bury you bill all right hello welcome everyone to weird west radio rayman digital's exclusive western weird western podcast slash radio show welcome everyone to the show i am michael floors the host of weird west radio and in the studio with me, as usual, and I wouldn't have it any other way, is Clint. Hello. How are you, sir? You and I watched a Western, a Western movie, uh, a movie titled Never Grow Old. And that's what we'll be discussing today and breaking down. It's a 2019 extremely dark Western flick written and directed by Ivan Kavanaugh. Uh, with cinematography by Piers McGrail, and it's starring Emile Hirsch, John Cusack, Deborah Francois, and it has a running time of an hour and 40 minutes. Usually I'm the kind of guy that really pushes for those, those longer running times. Like I, I'm like, let's not be so afraid of those two hour running times. Give us those two hours, especially in an era where we have TV shows that are just high quality and they go on for multiple episodes. I just feel like sometimes we're kind of screwed over on movies that are excellently produced like this movie. However, the pacing of this film was so good. Mm -hmm. The amount of story they covered in just five minutes was astounding. I remember I was about 10 minutes in because I always keep the little check marks, you know, little notes so that I can keep track of what they do in what amount of time. And I looked up to see when the inciting incident would be over. I'm like, well, that's 10 minutes. Holy shit. That was the inciting incident. And they used it to cover the entire setup of this film. So the pacing was good. I mean, Ivan Kavanaugh just knocked it out of the park when it comes to the, the script. Now the synopsis, an Irish undertaker, Profits when outlaws take over a peaceful American frontier town, but his family comes under threat as the death toll rises. All right, client. So who ever thought to cast John Cusack as a villain should be commended for their keen foresight? I mean, this is Lloyd from Say Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am... 
floored. I, I don't know how else to put it, Mike. I was floored. I was confused because, n- number one, I've been a big fan of John Cusack for as long as I can remember. But it wasn't until the early 2000s that I realized this dude can basically play any role. Convincing. But still, even knowing that he can pretty much tackle any role and do just a fantastic job with it, I was still curious and hesitant when I pushed play. I'm like, John Cusack in a Western? I don't know. And then I found out, you know, within 10, 15 minutes that he's the villain. I'm like, oh, wait a second. He's the villain of this? I mean, it's intriguing. I was surprised. It worked so well for me because... His role in this film as Dutch Albert is no different than any role he has tackled. He played the villain convincingly. Yep. Scary, intimidating, intrusive, his slow, casual, seemingly indifferent performance as this character that represents a subtle type of evilness. It worked. I don't know what school of thought or training he's from in what type of actor? Because I've even though I'm a fan of Cusack, I've never really bothered to read up on him. Sure. But this guy just it's like, yeah, you know what? I haven't done that before. I'm going to do it. Well, you know, what? I haven't done that before. I'm going to do it. And usually when you have those actors, Jim Carrey's, you know, of the world, they can't they want to do everything, but they don't do it convincing. There's usually certain roles that certain actors, most actors find themselves cast in because it's what they do best. And yet Cusack just throws that idea right out the window every single time. Yeah. Because was it called Gross Point Blank where he played a hitman? Yep. Good movie, too. Yeah. I thought, you know, for what it was, I was like, he's kind of a badass. He can do it. And then with this one. I will say that I thought his the cast of characters around him, the his gang mm-hmm. really helped his performance as far as being this badass because it helped kind of take away all the say anything's con airs <laughs> and that type of stuff, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh because it really brought this dark, evil uh badass baddie to yeah to the screen when you watched him it was it really everything right. helped and i'm not saying he didn't do it himself because he every time he spoke i i kept i caught myself leaning in mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so oh, yeah. it was uh a fantastic i i, I was floored <laughs> he's very charismatic And sometimes that doesn't work well for villain roles, because if you like the character too much and they're playing a bad guy, you're it just doesn't work in selling the 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 fear or the element of suspense that you need to obviously feel when you're watching a movie and you're watching this villain and you're supposed to be on the edge of your seat. And if it's someone you just like too much, it just doesn't work sometimes. In fact, sometimes you hate what they did because you're like, oh, man, I like that guy. Why did they do that to him? That's stupid. Bad writing. Bad writing. Because you have this this perception of this character because of their own charisma. However, that's what I felt like they did such a, a great job playing with. The fact that he is charismatic actually helped this role because 
there was more to it than simply I'm a bad guy. And we're going to get into that aspect a bit more because there was a lot of symbolism in this film. Uh, the character, you know, Dutch Albert was not just a run of the mill baddie. He was a methodical approach to explaining how evil can take root and destroy everything around it. I mean, if someone just pops in and says, hey, guys, let's murder people because that's what I want to do. Let's murder and rape. You're going to immediately look at that guy and not trust him. Like, oh, my God, we need to run from this man immediately. Because you never, you no, never want to start out with, hey, I want to bring liquor and whores to this town. Because most yeah. guys would be like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So what does he do? He slowly, slowly turns the town in on itself. It's a very smart film. Um, Clint, what are your initial thoughts on this? You know, again, we're seeing Johnny C up there. I was taken aback. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, uh, is this? are we going to throw a little humor in it? Because I never uh, like research the beginning of it before we even watch it. Yeah. I just watch it. Mm -hmm. And you find out fairly quickly he's an outlaw. And by by outlaw, I mean probably the worst kind. And you see this uh, – how do you say his name? Emile? Emile? Yeah, Emil, the the, the lead yeah, actor. You find out that yeah. he's a family man, and he, you know, they're th talking about leaving and doing all this, and, uh, you know, I was, I, it, it starts off like you said in the first ten minutes, you get, I don't want to say trapped by it, but you get, um, you're drawn in. You're drawn in, and the 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 scenery. I'm a big scenery guy. Yeah, you are. Location yeah. guy. And this was, it was muddy. It was, it felt cold when you watched it. So I'm just giving you the, like the first half hour <laughs> yeah. of, of what I thought about this movie, because it just keeps getting better the, the farther in you get. So I was really pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. The one thing that this, uh, this Hirsch, I did not like that uh, movie Into the Wild and How to Die Like a Idiot in the whatever Alaska. Yeah. I didn't care for that movie, but he was awesome in Alpha Dog. So Oh, so you you know him. of this actor. Okay. Yeah, I, it, that saved it for me, this Alpha Dog cuz I didn't like that Into the Wild. Yeah. At all. But I so when I saw it I I kind of went, "Oh, what are we going to do? How how is he going to be?" But then I always go back. I go, okay, he was really cool in Alpha Dog. Keep that in mind. So, <laughs> you know, when you watch him in there, he's he catches your eye, and you want to see what he's going to do with his family. And it was it, it was really good. I mean, I it just kept building and building, of course. But well, they do a great yeah. job, as you mentioned. They do a very good job bringing you in, drawing you in, and keeping your attention because. You mentioned set pieces and scenery. I mean, that, as we always say, is another character in a Western film. Your, yeah. your town is just as vital, if you're that type of Western, is just as vital as your protagonist and your antagonist. And the town was almost like its own. It, it almost felt like these two characters were playing tug of war with the town's soul. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And 
and it's like the town was almost in the middle. There was no definitive light source ever. It was just all evenly lit. It was, they were trying to show this a town on the verge of either righteousness or lawlessness. Yeah. I mean, because usually you go full dark if you're trying to sell the idea of dark and evil or you go full bright if you're showing that a town of hope and optimism. But no, what do they do? 80 percent of the film, the entire thing is in overcast, evenly distributed light. One of the things you mentioned, you see how the town gets separated and everything. One of the most visually uh, relevant parts of that is the church. In the beginning, yeah. they show you how full the church is, and people are singing, and yada, yada, yada. But by the end of it, there's three people. Yeah. And I, it slowly trickled out, you know, and that, that to me was probably the most symbolic of what was happening to that town at the time yeah. of, of what was going on from uh, Dutch. Even like, and I don't think this movie is overly religious by any means, but when you're a director, you got to pick a message. You got to pick a theme. And you mentioned that scene at the beginning of the film where they're in the church, right? And they're all, it's all filled up with a bunch of people, but also the way it was filmed, it was filmed low to the ground and they were making the walls and the ceiling very imposing Almost like they're protected. They're protected as long as they're within these walls. Look how high these walls are. Look how high this ceiling is. No one could get inside. You are safe as long as you are living according to God's laws, right? I think that was the idea that this preacher, even though, and I think that was purposely done, he was very over the top at the beginning. But in the end, the preacher was trying to do the right thing. But even he, by the end of the movie, does something horrible because of this devil that sneaks into town and slowly manipulates and turns everyone. So just a well thought out movie. And we had this film scheduled to record last week. And after I had watched, I sent you a message and I told you that I needed more time (laughs) to think about this one. So, yes, needless to say, this one was not an easy one for me to break down because there is a lot going on within this film. Now, we've got the overt narrative. Let's get into this. We've got the overt narrative, which is relatively simple. An Irish undertaker profits when outlaws take over a peaceful American frontier town, but his family comes under threat as the death toll rises. But then you have the subtext, the real story, as I like to call it, which is littered with Christian allegories, classic biblical woes and warnings. Then you have the metaphors, like the idea of selling your soul to the devil, making a deal with the devil. And as they even said in the show, in the movie, getting your 30 pieces of silver, which we all know that story of Judas Iscariot. Now, I'm not saying this film was heavily Christian or religious by any means. Far from it. I don't think the director is a I don't think Kavanaugh is a religious zealot by any means, but it was incredibly focused on an idea. I think that was his point more than anything. It wasn't heavily religious, but it was incredibly focused on an idea. And when you're a director trying to say something, trying to put some type of substance within your movie, you're going to have to have that one idea, your central theme and the religious aspect or the 
Christian allegories was just a way to help galvanize a motif. I guess you can put it that way. The idea that unsuspecting evil can take can overtake us like a you know carnivorous disease and completely consume us before we are even aware as to what was happening. And that's kind of the, the theme. That's the theme they were using. Evil can just come at you in the darkest of hours, in the middle of the night. How was this character introduced, this villain? Night. In the middle of the night, startled everyone, woke everyone from their, their slumber. I mean, this movie just just drove home those Christ, the Christian symbolism. Um, but this thought was positioned from the very beginning of the film with the introduction of Cusack's Dutch Albert, which, and this could be debatable, but honestly, I think the lead of the movie is the villain. And yes, the the actions and the decision-making, which usually goes with the protagonist, was in fact Emil Hirsch, Patrick Tate. But in so many ways, the spotlight, the person that really was pulling all the strings and really making the narrative progress was Dutch Albert was the antagonist, which isn't always the case when you're writing a movie like this. So yes, the questions and the big decisions that needed to be made were in fact things that Patrick Tate had to do. He had to make decisions, but ultimately I think there's an argument to be made that Dutch Albert was the lead because his actions were the, the end all mm-hmm. he was pushing buttons manipulating getting everyone to react and you didn't even notice it until the end of the movie so i think there's an argument to be made that cusack was actually the lead an antagonist was actually was actually the lead of this story and the awesome thing they did with this film is is that the evil was not immediately recognizable even for me as as an audience viewer, I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, well, he's not really that bad. Mysterious at times, elusive. Yes, but I don't think the evil was definitively front and center. It was not recognizable. As I, well, I said, part of that, I was going to just say that I think part of that was because he never really had his hand in it. Right. He would do that suggestive mm-hmm. uh, talk and, you know, when they were out at the campfire and he even says, are you my friend to Pat? <laughs> he basically made a deal with the quote unquote devil. It's such a devil thing to see or to say yeah. when he says, you're my friend, right? Yeah. Like, can we be friends? Will you, will you be my friend? You know, he even says <laughs> like he's proposing to him. <laughs> yeah, right. Will you be my friend? And then that's kind of when everything starts for him. He's making money because of these deaths, but Dutch never really has a full hand in it. It's the atmosphere that's causing Pat's uh, wealth mm-hmm. to start. Yeah, and well, he made know, a he's deal. kind of the maestro in the right. orchestra of yeah. debauchery. <laughs> yeah. It really works. And and even the way and this is why my hats off goes to the director, because not only is the script written very well, but just the way this was directed and planned out with the cinematographer, uh, everything was designed to make sure we're not quite sure of Dutch's intentions. 
I think the intention was for us not to say, oh, yeah, he's bad. We wanted to have questions. I think that's what they wanted. They wanted the audience to have questions. Well, he's not that bad. He's not really doing anything because even when Cusack shows up, he's shrouded in darkness. Rain and darkness keeps him hidden. So it's very, you know, poetic. Uh, we as an audience are cautious, but we're not quite sure. And even as the film progresses, and I'm pretty sure you picked up on this as well, it's understandable why our lead character, Patrick Tate, isn't entirely convinced that Dutch is bad as well. After all, Dutch is simply going after a man that owes him money. Then Dutch brought wealth back to the town. He has right. brought wealth to Tate and his family. And he only kills people that you could argue deserve it. Sure. All of this was intentional. The director needed to create contradiction for the audience, and it worked. We needed to form an argument internally as a viewer. That way we can understand or be empathetic with Tate. That way we can understand why he's doing as Dutch requests. So since we're kind of on that, mm -hmm. do you think the the daughter that was that was basically brought into prostitution by her mom, mm -hmm. do you think she was one that deserved it? No, see, that's, I think that was when the that's line. That's where it kind of got tricky, right? Yes, that's when the line was drawn. That's when, okay, it, yeah, dude, I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I was going to next. <laughs> As I said, a lot of the time, most of the time during the movie, Dutch's appearances are shrouded. We don't really get a full on shot, okay? When we first see him, as I said, he's covered in, uh, you know, rain, it's dark, but also he's. His face is covered in suit. We can't even see all of his facial features yet. Later, the, the later the rain they use, then they use the negative fill by way of overcast and shadows within caves, night shots, dim lit rooms is not until we are well at the end of the second act, possibly the beginning of the third act. We start to get a clear image of Dutch or straight on shots. And that is generally the moment we know this guy is a bad person not living within the morally gray there is no well he is kind of a good guy and that moment is made clear when he suggests that the widow sell herself and her daughter into prostitution and if you notice he leans towards the camera towards the table and we actually get our first straight on shot of him right in the center of the frame because the mystery is over. He is bad. Yep. It is such a smart movie. And I rewound it when I noticed they did that. I wanted to make sure I wasn't making it up. So I went back 20 minutes. I didn't, I didn't go back through the whole movie, but I went back 20 minutes and I rewatched 20 minutes leading up to that. And sure enough, his facial features are never straight on. We never get a clear shot of him without some type of shadow on him or or his hat covering his brow but at that moment we see him for everything he is and that's the moment when we know this guy's bad and also this is when we realize it's a little too late tate sold his soul to the devil and now look what has happened to the town yep and that's when all hell breaks loose the townspeople are destroyed at, just like it's sodom and gomorrah those people are burnt by the preacher alive 
even though the preacher felt like he was doing the righteous thing, he did, in fact, murder people. So even he was pulled into this. There's even a moment when all of this comes to a head, as I said, as a director and the cinematographer have, as I said, he sits in. Hold on a second. I just said that. <clears throat> hold on a second. We should have a blooper reel, though. Yeah, I'll put it on Patreon. People can see how stupid <laughs> we are. So stupid. Just, just a bunch of. Uh, That's what I do when I'm fr- frustrated. You make farting sounds? Yes. Um, so I definitely feel like there's a clear thought here, as I said at the top of the top of our discussion. I essentially essentially he's the devil. A guy who isn't quite you know, we're not quite sure of his intentions. I mean, even if you've read the Bible growing up, what is what do they say about the devil? He continues to transform himself into an angel of light, meaning he makes himself look good. He wants people to think he has good intentions. And before he you know it, before you know it, he has his hooks in you. And that moment comes to a head, as I was about to say a second ago, that moment comes to a head when we do get that shot of him looking at the widow. And there are other various moments. Once we know the jig is up and this guy is in fact a baddie that now they light him with a red hue on one side of his face, symbolizing that this guy is essentially the devil. Now I'm not saying this is a weird Western. I'm not saying we were actually dealing with the devil, I'm just saying the director was using visual symbolism to convey a thought. The way he would whisper in low tones and talk to people uh, when, what did he say? When someone got killed in the town and there was just one moment that I, it kind of was like a light switch for me. I'm like, this guy's the fucking devil. When (laughs) someone dies in town and Dutch whispers to Tate, that's some more money for you. That's all he says. You just made some. Oh, more, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. made some more money. That's like the devil on your shoulder. It's yeah, because he was kind of Pat was kind of in the greed mode once it started taking off. Yeah, you know he was. It seemed like they were fine in getting by with uh, once in a great while, you know, stuff happening. But then once the money started coming in, that greed, that money, that, you know, the money yeah. started, uh, you know, and then I think that he, was, bought his, I think, he bought his wife that, uh, I think it was a, no, it wasn't a dress. What was it? Like a bodice or. Yeah, yeah. He bought her something that was expensive and she didn't like it because she knew what was, I think she knew what was. It was blood money. Yeah. Is what she considered. it. Yeah. And that's essentially what they were trying to say about our, our lead character here. Uh, Patrick Tate played by Emil Hirsch. I think that was the entire point of his story. It was, they presented a problem for him at the very beginning. The idea that he was not happy in this town. He felt like an outsider. He didn't have enough money to leave. They had essentially put their, all their wealth into this farm and it wasn't really panting out for them. And he felt like he was stuck. He didn't feel like he was providing. And then this 
circumstance presents itself suddenly, right when he's at his lowest, just like the devil does. Right at your lowest, he presents an opportunity. And that was what just sent his story spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. But um, I felt like the story was exceptionally well-paced. Everything worked together. It was a very thought-out script. I can't imagine that Kavanaugh just sat here and just wrote all the way through. There had to be a lot of layers to developing the story because there's a lot going on. It's not just the straight-up narrative itself, but I could definitely say without a doubt that Kavanaugh knows how to write a script. So much ground was covered in a matter of minutes. The town in which the story takes place was fully realized in a fairly simplistic manner. You know, for example, the use of the church, the saloon, the farm, the mercantile, or whatever it was, the general store. How many sets did we really see? There wasn't even that much. Mm -hmm. Maybe four different locations, really? that this film took place unfolded and look yeah. and look how much story they could tell in just a very, a very a relatively inexpensive production. When you really think about it, I can't imagine this film costing more than 20 million unless well, Cusack's paycheck, you know, took up most of the budget. <laughs> well, that's the one thing that I, I, I enjoy from a, from some of these Westerns and this one especially is it reminds me of like the Reservoir Dog uh, flick because what you have there three, yeah, pretty much. You know, when you can when you can make a cool movie with a cool story like this one and have so much substance to it, where where you're just enthralled in it, the 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 audience is just like I was on the edge of my seat. Like I said before, I kept leaning in, and when you watch it and you notice that you have Pat's farm, the town and what, uh, basically the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're looking at some, uh, a simple plan, simple locations with a great story. And I love the fact that you almost feel like I, I'm, I'm sure you probably felt like you could do it because you probably can. But like I've, I felt like, gosh, you could actually kind of pull this off if you have a good story. Right. You know, I think. And actors seen, are key as well. Good actors. Yeah, you could see. We've seen some movies that. Very simple locations, complete shit. We've seen some really good, uh, really good stories. And like this one. A uh, few locations and just come out beautiful, and it's it's a uh, it's really cool to watch because it makes you pay a little more attention. And like you said, the the actors too. You have two big key actors in here that really draw you to the movie. And I'm I think you and I were talking off air. Uh, it's kind of a shame we didn't get to see this in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> because the location and the the lighting and just everything would have been uh really cool on a big big screen. Yeah, I it's very cinematic. For being a relatively low budget, it was very cinematic. It only premiered in or actually they played in 10 theaters across the country. So it had a limited release and it and it wasn't a platform release where they'll start within a few cities 
for a few weeks like they do with some of these films and then they open maybe two or three weeks later more broad more theaters this was 10 theaters and then it was done uh, i maybe that's the plan they had with the studio knowing that you know putting films uh, it, it it's very expensive to put a film into theaters and if your budget if you don't have the budget for that sometimes you got to you got to make some hard decisions and many times for these types of movies it's all right well let's get out there for maybe a couple weeks in 10 localized locations you know usually the art the art districts within cities so you'll have los angeles obviously you'll have parts of new york possibly austin texas maybe parts of arizona possibly albuquerque new mexico as well and these new little pop-up mini hollywood studio type towns now or cities but sadly according to various reports this movie has only made a hundred and six thousand dollars worldwide and that includes dvd sales and blu-ray sales that's a bummer i don't understand especially because this movie has been reviewed favorably by most people um it seems like we're very on par with much of the critical other critics out there which is not always the case especially with our westerns but on rotten tomatoes this has a 90 percent on metacritic it's sitting at 65 percent some of the things that people say it's too monstrous and mean-spirited to please everyone unconditionally but i found it challenging and honest and hair-raising enough to work as a modern morality tale in cowboy boots wow uh flawed but fresh with a highly impressive dramatic turn from john cusack another cusack delivers suitably chilling work impressive filthy studded with convincing violence the picture is very much an established sub-genre so a lot of people are liking this uh, from the audience side it's a little different uh it's coming in at a 67 percent it's still considered a success on rotten tomatoes but i i kind of figured that this isn't a movie that i don't think regular if you're looking for the magnificent seven you're gonna hate this movie you're not gonna like it But if you're looking for a film that you want to sit down and relax on a Friday night and put your feet up, grab a brew or something to drink and want to watch a good movie, this is probably the one that most people will enjoy for that type of thing. Yeah, this isn't a run and gun by any stretch of the imagination. No. I mean, there's some there's some shoot 'em up stuff in it, but it's not, you know, it's. Definitely not the Magnificent Seven. No, like you said. And, no, and this isn't a feel-good movie either, like the Magnificent Seven. This is a movie that at times is hard to watch. There are some very dark moments, but you're dealing with a movie that's trying to tackle dark themes. You're talking about the influence of the devil here. What, what do you want? Puppy dogs and rainbows? No, you'll definitely need some ice cream and a brownie afterwards. Yeah. Or maybe a pat in the back to to tell you that everything's going to be all right, because there are some (laughs) moments that are very hard to watch the moment with the widow. And first off, she's a dumb bitch. I I, I was upset at her. I was like, really? You're you live in a town full of people. You can't go. You're going to sell your daughter into prostitution in fear that you guys are going to starve to death. Well, let's face it. That just tells you that she may have been an uppity bitch. Oh, Wow. But I agree. <laughs> yeah, she is I mean, a dummy. They, nobody ever taught her how to hunt. You're in the wilderness. You you don't know how to go to shoot a squirrel. 
And that's the only part that I, and, but that's the only part that might have bothered me a little bit if I, if I wanted to continue to overanalyze some of the, the characterization of our, of our different characters. Because you would think in the old West in a frontier town that everyone's going to have to pull their weight, right? And all yeah. we ever do is read stories about the frontier women and how these women were some of the most capable individuals in history, in American history. There was some, there was nothing they couldn't do because when their husband went out to war or their husband, you know, went hunting or there was always that fear that he may not come back. They needed to know how to do the exact same thing. Yep. So that was the only moment when I thought about it post viewing. I was like, well, I get why they, they needed that character because it pushed the envelope. Uh, the scenario with the widow making her deal with the devil and pushing her daughter and herself into prostitution it pushed the envelope of the narrative so i understand why it was used but i almost feel like it should have been the scenario could have worked better if it was a slightly different setup maybe she had tried to do something on her own and it didn't work yeah, maybe give us something where she was just real quick snippet of her trying to shoot a rabbit it, or something. Yeah, and it just didn't work. You know, or maybe the town people weren't as religious as they were pretending to be, and they. I just I feel like it's kind of odd that you have this town full of you know righteous people, right? And they couldn't or help or a have, widow, <laughs> or just have us, you know. The, the town cripple, she spits in the guy's face, knocks over soup in the mud, and you're just like, I hate that bitch. And then when she goes, back, when she goes back, you're like, Yeah, you probably got to sell everything and yeah. your daughter. Yeah. Now we get, now we get why you're not getting help. Right, you're dumb. No one likes you. <laughs> you're evil. Yeah. So it wasn't a deal breaker by any means in fact if i wasn't having to analyze the movie like we do then i wouldn't ever even think twice about it because it does work sometimes you have when you're writing a script you have things that are simply plot devices and that's all they amount to and she was essentially a plot device that moment yeah. that would pull the curtain back and we would see who dutch really was and and also it says a lot for our, our hero because that's the moment when Patrick Tate, our lead, played by Emil Hirsch, finally kind of woke up from this wealth-induced euphoria. You know, he had, he had a blindfold on because, hey, we're doing fine. And up to that point, I think most of us, I think any of us could probably justify the actions. While watching this, I'm like, well, Dutch, eh, Dutch really didn't do anything wrong. Right. He really didn't until that moment with the prostitute. Then I was like, okay, this bothers me. He's not a good guy. The one thing that was a kind of a cool thing, too, that I thought was really smart, along with the church, was the sheriff kept paying him coins. And it was a lot at first. And then at the end, yeah, close to the end, he didn't have very much. And he just kind of looks at it like, oh, you know, Pat just kind of looks at his hand like, this is it. Well, hell, man, how many people have you buried? <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a dark Western. How would you compare it to Dark Valley, another very dark Western, oh. and, and say Brimstone? Those, 
I think Brimstone, Dark Valley, and Never Grow Old are probably three of the darkest westerns we have reviewed and discussed within the last, what, three years, you'd say? Would you agree with that? Yep. I would think this was probably not as dark. As Brimstone, maybe? Oh, Brimstone's really effing dark. (laughs) I mean, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is probably the the least, huh? Yeah, Dark Valley's in the middle and then this one. Because this one, I wasn't like super uncomfortable <laughs> as much as I was in Brimstone. You know, there's some scenes in that one where I'm like, what are we watching? And then Dark Valley was just interesting. And this one, I, you know, aside from the turning out the daughter, even that wasn't as bad because. Well, she got, knew, she got hers. Like she, yeah, yeah, I mean, she blew she, the dude away. It wasn't, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't anything, like, uncomfortable about this whole thing. It was just really smart and got your mind going of how this is all going to work. Yeah. I forgot about Brimstone. Such Another good movie. Yes, very, it was very good. Yeah. Let's go to a quick break, and then when we get back, we'll get into some of our final thoughts, plus a brief little interview with the director, We'll be right back. Don't y'all go nowhere. Weird West Radio will be right back. Because you don't remember if you didn't. Okay, I didn't pull my dick out. Are you that. sure? I'm if you only remember thirty percent, how do you know that? The thirty percent I remember is not whipping my how dick out. How do you out. know that during that seventy percent? That's the thirty I remember. I didn't. Your Honor, my dick I remember thirty percent of the night. And that was the entire time she claims we did something. Yeah. Open and shut case. Okay, so there's Ryan, a, there's seventy percent that you don't remember. That, that but I remember not whipping my dick out. That's a hundred. There's seventy percent you don't know. Thirty percent of what I remember. The other part uh, of you might have whipped it out. Thirty percent of what I remember is a hundred percent I didn't oh, pull my dick that out. That is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> to Mike's point, though, in nine months you get a text message saying it's yours. You change that phone number. I, well, obviously, dude, I'm getting a brand new phone number. He's like, it's your baby. I'm gonna be like, no, it's, it's not. It's your baby, Ryan. I don't come. I know you and your mama. I don't come. I don't oh, come. You know mama. I don't come. 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 I don't Oh, oh my oh. god. I was sending you messages. Oh. And they said delivered. I know you have an iOS device. I have an iOS oh device. You're yo. annoying me. You'd be fucked. This oh. is fucked up, dude. But I followed you on Facebook. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. 
Free stuff is awesome. But free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. everybody to weird west radio on rain man digital be sure to find us on itunes stitcher google play or spotify and leave us reviews give us thumbs up share our show help us get out there we need it it helps us get seen by more eyes the more eyes that see us the more people that download the show which then helps us out and motivates us to do more content right to put out more content Right on, right on. Yeah. All right. So there was an interview with the director that I thought was it's very, very brief, and I'm just going to read one or two sentences from it, but it definitely shows you how obviously when you interview a director, the director is not going to talk about the symbolism or the metaphors or what he was saying within the subtext, because most, most artists will never do that. They're not going to be like, well, what else trying to do? They're not, they're not going to do it. Most artists refuse to explain what they were trying to do. However, he explains, I would say, the 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 overt story that he was trying to tell and his inspiration. Uh, in an interview published by uh, the Cine Europa prior to its U.S. release, Ivan Kavanaugh told David Abstasani that his main inspiration when writing uh, were the frontier photographs from the 1850s onwards, uh, he was really drawn to the hardship on the people's faces. And he said that it was startling, uh, startlingly apparent. And when you listen to the hymns they sang at that time, they are about the hardships, the misery of life and how life will be better on the other side in heaven. 
Well, geez. And he says it's a very sombering and moving view of the founding of America and of the immigrant experience, the immigrant experience. He said, I tried to get some of that into the film as well as paying homage to the Westerns that he had loved as a child. I don't feel like he just got some of that into the film. I feel like he got <laughs> all of that into the film. I mean, what a way to start thinking about the film. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's that's pretty badass. Well, it shows it shows it's interesting to me. These are my favorite things about interviews. When a director shares what got his mind working, because every director's different. And sometimes you think, well, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a movie. And they a lot of people think they just start writing like, OK, I'm going to write a story. But ideas come from so many different places. And the fact that he was inspired by just simple photographs. And then from a photograph, he then managed to translate this entire movie based essentially off a feeling that he got from an image. That's almost like translating, which I know this isn't your thing, but that's almost like translating a piece of art at a museum. You know, interpreting it, I should say, where you look at it, you're like, well, I think the artist was trying to say this. That's essentially what the director did. He interpreted some photographs and how it made him feel. He then used those emotions to craft his entire movie here. Pretty. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a sculptor guy. Sculpt. You know, yeah. like that lady with no arms with big boobs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dildos as well. Yep. You sculpt some dildos oh, from time they, to time. Do yeah. they have those? Yeah. yeah. Is that in yeah. Sculptures of. Wow. Well, wooden dildos and. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> You, you don't, Splinters. you don't, um, well, you can waterproof it, you know, sand it down, <laughs> sand them down a little bit. What's your, your whittling, Timmy? <laughs> oh, something for my mom. That looks pretty, <laughs> that looks pretty phallic there, Timmy. <laughs> my mom, What's gave, phallic? My, my mom <laughs> gave me a schematic, uh, something that she thought would be useful around the house to practice my, uh, wood making. And, uh, this is what I came up with based on yeah. her, um, drawings. She shot, she, she saw daddy's bullets and was like, huh. It kind of looks like a big version of my dad's penis, but I just kind of shrugged <laughs> uh, Wait, a bigger version of my penis. I should say that's fucking, oh, wow. that's so wrong. This is all going to get cut. <laughs> None of this will be the final discussion. All right. Yeah, it won't. Shit. It won't. All right. Family, family show here on Weird West Radio. Oh, turning over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. This is the first show that will be f- considered family friendly. G-rated. They got to Weird West Radio. They did. Sons of bitches. (laughs) Facebook got to us. They quit uh, allowing our shows to pop up unless we conformed. Damn it. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our final thoughts. Let's go ahead and kick those double doors down in the saloon. Let's walk in. There are some protesters out there, some of those religious women out there trying to prevent us from coming into the saloon because it's the devil's work, right? We don't want to be within the devil's influence. Stay away. Stay away, they scream. And we just kind of elbow them like, I got to get some some ass and some alcohol. Get off me. (laughs) Yeah. Unless you ladies want to come on in. There were some hot, you know, religious ladies too, so they should probably come into the saloon. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage them to walk into the saloon as well. Right. And then we're gonna belly up to the bar. 
and uh, take a few drinks. How many shots of whiskey? No, we don't do that anymore, do we? No. <laughs> you know, what's your RMD percentage that you give this film as well as your final thoughts? Well, I'm actually going to give this probably my highest one that I have yet, which is 92. Right? Yeah. Is that how we do it? Yeah. 90, 92%. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm boring you. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, I I was skeptical of Johnny C being in it. Yeah. Hands down, I'd like to see him in another Western of some sort. I think he pulled it off. Uh, this is one of those, it's not over-intellectual, but it's crafty enough to keep your attention. And I like that it wasn't trying to over-smart itself, if that's a thing. No, <laughs> it's a thing. Huh? It's definitely a thing. I think sometimes uh, the director or writers or anything gets into there and they try to do that and try to be <laughs> real uppity about it. This was just right. Exactly, because if you're going to do that, it needs to be subtle. Otherwise, you suck at it. You know, you, right. you don't want to feel what they're doing. You want to pick up on it because you're paying attention, not because it's so in your face. Yep. And I never felt like I was being uh, talked down to. Yeah. Or, or what's the word I'm looking for? That's probably good enough. Yeah. But, you know, to where you're interested in it, like I said before, I kept leaning in while I was watching this because John Cusack, like you said, he was whispering. It was dark. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and I didn't want to miss anything. And when it... When it got to the end, I was like, this was a good freaking movie. I Any traditional Western fan is going to like this movie. It's not a shoot 'em up It's not a high-o silver or a singing cowboy or yeah. anything like that. But it's a well-played Western that is going to keep your attention. It's entertaining and it's... It could, if you want to take a, a moral story out of it, don't be fucking greedy. Right. Because a lot of bad things can happen if you overdo it. Yep. Uh, but yes, I totally enjoy this. What did I say? 92%? 92%, really? Yes, I, I liked it that much. Okay. I, I don't normally would even go that high, but I, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And it's going to be very funny to you and peculiar. But I wrote down my score before we even started today, and guess what it is? 92%. 92%. What? So I mean, we are on we are on the exact same page with this film. I agree with you with, you know, I don't really look at it as them trying to make me feel dumb or them talking down to me, but I totally understand the idea or the notion that you're trying to convey. The fact that, hey, you know what? If you're going to try to make something smart, then be fucking smart. I don't want to right. see it. It doesn't need to be a sore thumb. You know, you don't need to blind us with your superior intellect. Put it well, subtly. Well, they didn't point out a lot of that stuff either. They no, you have make, to look for it. You feel dumb. No, you have to look <laughs> for it. You do. You have to look for it. If you know what to look for in a movie, you can definitely see the subtleties of the filmmaker at work, utilizing that cinematography, using his subtext, 
using the characters themselves. These are the things, these are the props of movie making that you should utilize if you're trying to tell this type of story. Uh, A subpar director would probably try to show us how smart he was. Whereas Kavanaugh did a great job balancing, doing a balancing act, I should say. So this movie, yes, 92% is one of my favorite Westerns I've seen this year, easily this year. Um, And I put it right up there with the likes of Brimstone and Dark Valley. It is, in fact, a dark Western, not a weird West. I guess there could be an argument made that possibly he was the devil, but I I don't think definitively that's what he was. It was just more of a representation of evil and what evil can do when you allow it to slowly, you know, whittle away at your morality or moral compass, whatever that may be. Excellent film. All right. This does conclude our discussion on never grow old. I want to thank everyone for listening. Remember, share those links. Give us thumbs up. Give us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Michael, and never grow old. Oh. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>